What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT. We've been gone for the last couple of days. If you guys didn't know, I've been moving into my college dorm for my senior year of college, so we haven't been able to live stream. I've really missed y'all boys, man, and it's kind of a good thing that I wasn't able to live stream for the last couple of days because there are some things that we're going to be discussing about that have me really, really excited and really upset. The first one being Bryce Young in this situation with the Carolina Panthers, like, we need to call Child Protective Services because there's some child neglect going on down there in North Carolina, man, when it comes to Bryce Young and the Panthers' treatment of him. And we're going to get into that shortly. Trust. The Steelers' offense, I've been liking what I've been seeing out of Kenny Pickett, Jalen Warren, and Najee Harris. We might have a legitimate comp to see who could be the Steelers' RB1 because Jalen Warren is pretty good. And the Seahawks, I'm going to tell you guys why I think they're going to win the NFC West. And then we got to talk college football. Graham Mertz and Florida, will they be as bad as what people think? Over under win total of five and a half. Could they surprise some people? We're going to talk about that. Tennessee or Kentucky, I don't know what it is with these Tennessee fans. But every time I talk about Kentucky, they always wanted the first people watching. And commenting in the comment section on videos about Kentucky's football. So we're going to discuss Tennessee or Kentucky, who's better. And I'm going to be giving you who I think is the most underrated team in the Big 12 going into this season. I appreciate that, Warren Douglas. Congratulations on the good luck in college. Appreciate that, man. Before we begin, if you haven't already, make sure that you go ahead, leave a like, and subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Remember that we're not just available on YouTube. You can find every episode of the JT Sports Podcast in audio format on all podcasting platforms. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from, you can find the JT Sports Podcast. And follow us on all of our social media pages, man. We've been going crazy on Instagram. We just went viral over this past weekend on TikTok and Instagram. So if you want some additional content, go ahead and follow me on TikTok and on Instagram at JT Sports. Now, the content that I, that I post on social media is way different from the content that I do on here. Like, I just troll on social media because that's all people really like to do on social media and troll. So trolling is what gets the clicks on social media. So don't really take me serious on social media when it comes to most of the stuff that I post on the reels, bro, because that's just entertainment. Like, Zach Wilson had like a crazy run and he was looking like Lamar Jackson out there. So it's just like many in-game reactions that I do on there. But go ahead and follow me if you want some extra bonus content. All right, so we got to start off talking about the Panthers and Bryce Young, man. Does anybody have the number to Child Protective Services? Because I think they need to go down there to Charlotte, North Carolina and investigate because I think we got an ongoing case of child neglect when it comes to Bryce Young and the Carolina Panthers. This offensive line has been god-awful for the whole entire preseason. And I don't give a damn about what starters haven't been playing, who's injured, or Kim Kwanu who was one of the best rookie offensive tackles in the league last year. 
a top 10 pick by Carolina, allowed Kayvon Thibodeau to deliver a clothesline from hell, vintage JBL style, to Bryce Young on their best drive of the game. That offensive line is terrible. I don't know what happened to the Carolina Panthers offensive line that we saw last season, but the offensive line that we're seeing in the preseason looks really, really bad. And I don't care who's not playing, who's injured, because when the Kim McQuando is allowing his franchise quarterback to get clotheslined by Kayvon Thibodeau, there were some problems. There were some concerns. And I thought that the Carolina Panthers were going to have Bryce Young in an ideal situation to succeed. You got people talking about some, he got to get his experience. You know, he has to go through his growing pains. That's cool. But there's a difference between growing pains and allowing your franchise quarterback to get too many welcome to the NFL hits, bruh. Bryce Young has been opposing defensive lines practice dummy in the preseason. The New York Giants, or the New York Jets, excuse me, they were looking at Bryce Young as target practice, man. And this past preseason, the Giants were looking at him in the same way. They looking at him like a practice dummy. That's how the Carolina Panthers have been treating Bryce Young back there with this offensive line. You should not be experimenting with your offensive line in the preseason when you have a quarterback who is your future, who you want to be around for the next decade to stay healthy. The biggest concern with Bryce Young coming out has been what? Durability. So why is it that the Carolina Panthers are allowing Bryce Young to get popped back there like the hits already ain't adding up? You don't want Bryce Young going into the season with already having a good amount of welts and bruises. I don't give a damn how tough he is. I love Bryce Young, and I think this brother is going to have a phenomenal career. That's if the Carolina Panthers can keep him healthy. Do y'all not remember what the hell happened to Andrew Luck? It wasn't too long ago when Andrew Luck was balling off for the Colts, but getting effed up because they couldn't protect the brother. Bryce Young is only 204 pounds. He's, bre he's built like a preschooler. He's 204 pounds of silk and wet, and you're allowing him to get thrown around like a rag doll back there. The Panthers are looking like they're setting him up to fail. It doesn't matter if it's preseason. If your first string offensive line is getting beat by second stringers or even starters, that's a concern. You want your starting offensive linemen to dominate. It's not about the whole collective group. You can look at individual performances in the preseason too. People say the preseason doesn't matter. Um, if one of my starting left tackles is getting beat by Kayvon Thibodeau, I'm going to be concerned. If this is the preseason, you should be dominating because it's not the same speed that the regular season is. So miss me with that. It's the preseason growing pains. Yeah, you know what growing pains are going to get Bryce Young? Missing in action. It's crazy how people want to have concerns about his durability, but act like the preseason doesn't matter. Like the hits are just non-existent in the preseason. They all hurt the same. Getting hit in the preseason is no different from getting hit in the regular season. The hits add up, bro. Watch the Netflix quarterback documentary and look what happened to Kirk Cousins. All throughout the season, brother was getting banged up and bruised. And Bryce Young is probably already getting banged up and bruised, and we're only two weeks into the preseason, man. And then these receivers, I'm not going to hold you. I think Carolina needs to make a trade for somebody. 
These receivers concern me just as much as the offensive line concerns me. Adam Thielen is cool, but he's like 30-something years old. He isn't really a dependable wide receiver one for you. And Carolina doesn't have a dependable wide receiver one. They don't have nobody on this roster that you can look at if you're Bryce Young when you need the make-up play and you just need somebody to throw the football to the bell you out. They don't have that. Jonathan Mingo is promising. Terrence Marshall is still a little promising. But you're still banking on potential. When you have a young quarterback, you would like for him to have a vet that he can depend on. And Adam Thielen, I don't know if he's the most dependable. He hasn't really been that impressive in the preseason. DJ Chark is okay, but he's just a really good deep threat. Are these really wide receivers that you can trust Bryce Young with? That they're going to be able to get open in crucial third down situations? I do like Hayden Hurst at tight end, but I mean, they just need... A little bit more juice at the wide receiver position. This wide receiver position is incredibly concerning to me. And I think they're only one injury away from being SOL at wide receiver. They do got LaVisco Chenault, but they kind of view him more as a gadget guy per se. I don't really know if these are any proven wide receivers that you can really look at and depend on. If they were to go out there and trade for an established wide receiver or they go out and they sign like a savvy veteran, I feel like I would be a little bit more confident about Bryce Young's supporting cast coming in. You just would like him to have a proven number one and they don't really have that. They got a lot of guys who are like low-end wide receiver twos, wide receiver threes, good deep threads. They don't really have a go-to. That kind of concerns me, and it's kind of evident in the preseason. It's like Bryce Young is trying to extend plays, getting outside the pocket, buying time, and guys still aren't really able to get open. And you got fools on Twitter talking about some, he holding the ball too long. I mean, duh. You think Bryce Young wants to be getting hit? I'm pretty sure Bryce Young can get the ball out within three seconds. He would, but he can't do that if nobody's getting open. Why do you think he's running outside the pocket trying to buy time? It's like we just define all logic when we just want to push a narrative why somebody is a bust. It's so crazy to me. But the Panthers, I don't really like what they got around Bryce Young. And I don't even know if I even trust them to win the NFC South anymore. Like, I, I'm really concerned about the way the Panthers are kind of going into the start of the season, man. This is a bad way to go into the season. Your rookie quarterback is getting thrown around. It looks like child neglect back there. Your franchise left tackle just looks like he just has taken a complete step backwards, allowing Kayvon Thibodeau to give a JBL close on the hell to King Bryce. I mean, I don't know what the hell is going on down there in Charlotte, man, but I don't like it. I do not like how much Bryce Young is getting hit in the preseason. And you people need to stop making it seem like just, just because it's the preseason, the shit doesn't add up, bro. If you're getting smacked in the preseason, you're going to feel that when you wake up. These hits add up, bro. It kind of looks like the Panthers are setting Bryce Young up to fail. Now, I'm not bailing on these boys yet because the only reason why I still have faith in Carolina to win this division is because last year I picked the Jaguars around this time to win the NFC South. That's when I changed my tune on them. And they struggled the first half of last year. Then they kind of got better during the, the later half of the season. So maybe that will happen with Carolina. Maybe they will get better as we gradually 
progress throughout this season, but I don't like what I've been seeing from these boys in the preseason. Really disturbing the kind of hits that I've been seeing Bryce Young take or see him take. Have you seen the Pittsburgh Steelers offense in the preseason? These boys been cooking with some juice and you can hate on Kenny Pickett all you want to. Oh, he doesn't have the strongest arm. He's not the greatest athlete. It doesn't matter. Kenny Pickett gets the job done. I don't care about how bad his rookie season looks statistically. If you watched every single game that he played in, he got better every single game. And the majority of his interceptions came the first four games that he played in. Pittsburgh was 8-2 when TJ Watt was healthy and when Kenny Pickett came back from that concussion. If Kenny Pickett would have started week one last year, the Steelers would have made it to the playoffs. You remember when we lost to the Carolina Panthers? We were moving the ball up and down the field, but Mr. Bisky kept turning over the football in the red zone. And Kenny Pickett, he just looks so, he looks so much confident. And I know that seems cliche. We seem to be saying that about every quarterback that has something to prove this year. But he really does. And he looks a little bigger. Don't lie. Don't Kenny, doesn't Kenny Pickett's arms look like they got a little bit bigger? And his arm? It kind of looked like it got a little bit stronger. In the preseason, these touchdowns that I've seen him throw, like the one that George Pickens against the Bucks, they came out with some juice. And he's been making a lot of tight window throws. He wasn't making those same amount of throws last season in tight windows. As a matter of fact, you know, he was a kind of he was kind of conservative last year. This season, he just has so much more confidence in his arm strength. The fact that he's more willing to stand in the pocket a little bit longer. You know, a big problem with him coming out of pit was that he didn't have enough patience in the pocket. He'll wait one read and just automatically flush out of that boy. Kenny Pickett is really starting to grow up. I'm nearly about to shed a tear because I was kind of shitting on Kenny Pickett when he got drafted. Y'all remember I wanted Malik Willis. Now, obviously, I look like a fool now. Because how Kenny Pickett's looking, but don't act like some of y'all boys wasn't talking about how y'all was rooting for Mitch Trubisky. Come on now, some of y'all thought that Mitch Trubisky should have started all last season around this time off season. But I'm really proud of Kenny Pickett. You know, like anytime somebody come for Kenny Pickett on any social media platform, I'm one of the first people to defend him, man. Like, I don't care if Kenny Pickett isn't a top five quarterback or a top 10 quarterback. What impressed me the most about Kenny Pickett is the fact that every time the game was on the line, near the end of the season, he came through in the biggest moments. And that reminds me a lot of Big Ben. Y'all remember how Big Ben was? This dude would come out though like three, four interceptions. And then the full quarter, you only down by three points because this fool don't got on fire. That's Kenny Pickett, man. I'm proud to say that Kenny Pickett is the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I believe in him. You feel me? Like, I know I kind of hated on him when we drafted him, but I believe in him. He has my full support. I have all the confidence in the world that Kenny Pickett is going to be that dude for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I know it's the preseason, but I was looking for growth. I like what I've been seeing now to Kenny Pickett. Now, this running back situation, we might have a problem brewing here. And it's not a bad problem. But I'm going to just say this. Jalen Warren, I don't think the gap between him and Najee is big. 
And Jalen Warren, his pops just subscribed to the channel because we covered him a lot when he was playing at Oklahoma State. So shout out to Jalen Warren's pops if you're watching this. Your boy's a baller. I mean, this dude had a 62-yard touchdown run in the preseason win against the Buffalo Bills. Jalen Warren and Najee Harris should probably be splitting RB1 carries. And that's a good thing when it comes to Najee Harris' situation because Steeler fans for the longest have been complaining how we just run our running backs into the dirt. You know how we ran Le'Veon his first couple of years. You saw how we did James Conner. And you see how we've been working Najee Harris his first couple of years. So Steeler fans have been looking for a good RB2. You don't have an RB2. You have two RB1s. That's how good I think Jalen Warren is. He's not the same style runner that Najee is. Najee's more north and south. He does have a little bit more agility for a guy his size. And he's really good catching the ball out of the backfield. But Jalen Warren's faster. He has more acceleration. He's more elusive. It's just really good to have two different style backs because it gives you a good change of pace. Change of pace back is thrown out way too loosely today. A change of pace back to me is somebody who just has a different running style than your starting running back. I think that's why they kind of call it change of pace. One guy may be slower than the other. The other one is a lot faster. But I don't really know the definition. But all I know is that Jalen Warren... I think he's really special. I think the Steelers got really lucky to snag Jalen Warren up as a UDFA last year. I cover him a lot of Oklahoma State. He was a dog. So the fact that you got two really good running backs, this run game should be as good as it's ever been. The last time the Steelers had two good running backs was when they had Le'Veon Bell and D'Angelo Williams. You, you remember when D'Angelo Williams was filling in for Le'Veon Bell when he was suspended and he was going off, he was leading the NFL and rushing at one point? We got to have two really good RB1 caliber running backs on this roster. Now, unfortunately, if you're a fan of fantasy football and you got Najee Harris, you probably might want to try to shop him around. He probably will still get a lot of touchdowns because Jalen Warren isn't going to get goal line work. But Jalen Warren probably could get a legitimate amount of carries this year. Don't be surprised if he gets like 150 carries this year. And plus, he's just more elusive in the open field. When we look at the receivers, though, Allen Robinson is going to be a really good addition. You got to remember that getting Allen Robinson filled a big need that Pittsburgh has kind of been trying to fill for a while. They've been trying to find a big body explosive wide receiver for a brick. Outside of George Pickens, the Steelers haven't really had a lot of success with big physical wide receivers. The Steelers have been successful at drafting smaller receivers like Antonio Brown, Emmanuel Sanders. But when it comes to bigger body wide receivers, George Pickens has probably been the most successful one they've had outside of Martavis Bryant and maybe Juju Smith-Schuster if you want to count him. But you remember the failed experiment when they signed Dante Moncrief? So you get Allen Robinson. He's going to just bring a different element to the offense, that big slot wide receiver. And then you have Deontay Johnson, who's one of the best route runners in the NFL. He can do all the dirty work inside. And George Pickens can be your big, deep threat, red zone target downfield. And we can't forget about Pat Fryermuth and Darnell Washington. Darnell Washington is a monster. People were crapping on Darnell Washington for how he looked week one of training camp. But he's not one of those players that looks good without pads on. This dude is a true football player. 
So the weapons that Kenny Pickett has to throw the football to and with how good this offensive line looks, they're calling it the picket fence. The Steelers, to me, I think their offense is extremely underrated going into the upcoming 2023 NFL season. Kenny Pickett looks poised for a breakout season. George Pickens looks like he's going to be poised for a breakout year as well. The Pickett to Pickens connection is going to be worldwide this year. I'm really excited for the Steelers offense this season. The Seahawks, I think, are one of the most overlooked teams in the NFC when it comes to the Super Bowl conversation. A popular pick has been the 49ers, a team that many people believe is going to win the NFC West. But I think that the Seahawks, they might have something to say about that. The Seattle Seahawks roster is not that far off from San Francisco's roster. As a matter of fact, I think that you can make a fair argument that Seattle has a better roster than the 49ers. Do the 49ers have more talented starters than the Seattle Seahawks at certain positions? Yeah, they do. But I think Seattle just has more depth. Seattle, if they have a guy who's a key starter who goes down and he has to miss some time, they won't have to freak out about it because they have plenty of depth at every single position. I'm super excited for this wide receiving core and what they can do this season. They were already dangerous with DK and Tyler Lockett. Now you add JSN and you have seen what JSN has been doing in training camp to the Seattle Seahawks cornerbacks, making Kobe Bryant touch grass and pick it up, have that boy mowing lawn. And you've seen what he's been doing throughout the preseason. This is one of the most scariest wide receiving cores in the whole entire NFL. And you got Geno Smith, that QB. I cannot for the life of me comprehend why some people keep thinking that Geno Smith was just a one-hit wonder. Y'all ain't learned when y'all wrote Geno Smith off last year. The dude is never going to write back. Just give it up. He had an MVP caliber season last year. He was literally the best deep ball thrower in the NFL in 2022. And his supporting cast, it only got better. This offensive line is only going to get better. Abraham Lucas, Charles Cross were the best rookie tandem at offensive tackle last year. They're going into year two where they both can submit themselves as top five players at their positions, respectively at offensive tackle. It's already hard to find one franchise caliber offensive tackle. Seattle found two. They got a young center, Rick out of Michigan, that I really like a lot. And a Lua Lua Timmy. I think he can have a really good rookie season. Seattle has a lot of talent on offense and even on defense. When you look at what they have on their defensive line, San Francisco has a better defensive line than Seattle. We, we're going to give them that. Javon Hargrave, Arik Armstead, Nick Bosa, that's insane, fam. But Seattle has Draymond Jones, Jaron Reed, Daryl Taylor, Uchenna Walsu, and Brian Mafe, Boye Mafe. That's scary too, dog. Boye Mafe had a pretty solid rookie season. He's only somebody that can get better. Uchenna Nwosu, Daryl Taylor, they both had nine and a half sacks each. And they bring in Draymond Jones, who's one of the more underrated defensive linemen in the league when it comes to getting pressure on the quarterback. They got a lot of depth when it comes to their linebacker position. You look at what they have at cornerback with Devon Weatherspoon, Tyreek Woolen. 
We can see the Legion of Boom 2.0. No disrespect to those boys, but if Devon Witherspoon is as good as advertised, who are you going to target? You're not going to throw it to Tyreek Woolen because he shut down. You're not going to throw it to Devon Witherspoon if he shut down also. You got Jamal Adams coming back. I don't know how you guys feel about Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams, when you bring him up and you start discussing if he's a good player or not, you kind of are asking to start a war. But I think Jamal Adams is a pretty good addition when he is on the field. And if you don't like him, you did sign Julian Love. You got Quandre Diggs. I'm just saying, Seattle, not only should they be able to win this division, but they should be able to make it to the Super Bowl. Honestly, at least the NLC Conference Championship game against Philadelphia or maybe Detroit. Y'all think I'm crazy in the chat? What's good, everybody in the chat? Y'all think I'm being a little bit unrealistic? Do you think that Seattle can win the NFC West? Let me know. Like, I personally think that Geno Smith should be able to be better than whoever the 49ers have at quarterback. And I like Brock Purdy. I think he'll be solid, but I think Geno Smith just elevates the Seahawks offense a little bit more. When you have good quarterback play or great quarterback play, it just brings a different dynamic to your offense. Brock Purdy solid, but... He ain't Geno Smith, baby. Geno Smith was damn near in the MVP conversation at one point last year. He could probably be in the conversation this year with a better supporting cast. You got the LA Rams. I like the Los Angeles Rams. I love Sean McVay. I love me some Aaron Donald, but at best, the Rams probably are a 9-win team, 8-win team, and maybe they can sneak in to the postseason as a 7 seed. That's best-case scenario, but... You know, it, it doesn't look promising for the Rams. And the Arizona Cardinals, we really bringing them up for having a chance at winning the NFC West? Like, they might be the first team in the history of the league to go 0-17. And I'm not trying to be funny when I say that. I'm dead serious. Damn. Like, I know it's tough if you're a Cardinals fan listening to this, but you'll be better for it. Kayla Williams, he'll be a big upgrade from Kyler Murray if y'all go 0-17. It'll be a sacrifice worthwhile. But when you're looking at these Seahawks, man, I think that a lot of people need to start paying attention to what's going on up there. People calling the New Orleans Saints a dark horse Super Bowl contender? Ha! Are you serious? Over Seattle? Like, there's people who think that the Saints can make it to the NFC Championship game. And I've yet to hear too many people bring up the Seahawks. We mentioned in the, the Saints before we mentioned the Seahawks in the Super Bowl conversation. What's wrong with some of these people? I know everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but the Saints, fam? With Dennis Allen? Come on now, dog. What are Come we doing? on, man. Whoa, whoa. I like the Seahawks to win the NFC West this year. I know you 49ers fans love the channel. I love y'all. I know y'all going to get riled up in the comment section, but... Y'all sleeping on these Seahawks. They got so much depth. I was looking at y'all backup offensive line the past couple of preseason games, and it hasn't looked pretty good. I'm looking at the Seahawks. They got a lot of depth at every single position. They can have one injury and be fine because the guy behind them is good enough to be a starter. Look out for the Seahawks this year. Not only do I think they're going to win the NFC West, but I think they potentially can make it to the Super Bowl. The Florida Gators, man, they are not expected to do too much this year. They have an over-under win total of five and a half, and a lot of people are shitting on Florida, 
Many people are laughing at them deciding to pick up Graham Mertz in the transfer portal. And I can understand why people are laughing at Florida. Trust me, I was laughing too when I saw they picked him up. I was like, bro, isn't this the same fool who was starting for Wisconsin looking like he was holding this offense back? But you know, talking to one of my homies who's a Florida fan, and he's not one of those unrealistic, biased Florida fans that tell you every single year, like, they're going to win the SEC East. He's one of those Florida fans that I really respect his opinion because he's pretty accurate when it comes to talking about Florida Gators football. He has a pretty good understanding of the program. And last year, he told me that they were going to upset Utah, and it actually happened. And he told me that they were going to be like a 6-7 win team and Anthony Richardson was going to be up and down. So he knows the program really well. And he told me that Graham Mertz, you know, he might not be as bad as what a lot of people think. Now, is he going to light the world on fire? Probably not. But Graham Mertz could surprise some people. And when I told him that Florida had an over-under win total of five and a half, he laughed. Like, he might have just went ahead and put a lot of money on that thing. He told me that Florida should at least be a 6-7 win team. And the thing with Graham Mertz that a lot of Florida fans will quickly tell you is that he could be a slight upgrade over Anthony Richardson. And before you say, whoa, 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 chill out. Anthony Richardson, for some odd reason, during his time in Florida, they didn't have an easy time, you know, teaching him the playbook. At least that's what people say. Don't know how true this is, but they say they had to alter the playbook around his strengths. And, you know, he it wasn't really great playing within structure. Like, we don't need to get into the Anthony Richardson roller coaster at Florida. You guys pretty much already know what he was. Greg Mertz, he isn't that athletic monster that Anthony Richardson is, but if he can be serviceable, play within structure, make the easy throws, make the layoffs, something that Anthony Richardson was unable to do consistently, he could have some success. And you remember Bo Nix when he was at Auburn? He wasn't bad his final season, but he was the definition of mid. And if you would have thought that Bo Nix was going to completely turn his career around from being a mid-quarterback at Auburn to becoming a Heisman contender at Oregon, I probably would have laughed at you, and we probably would have laughed together. But it actually happened. Michael Penix, I mean, outside of that one miraculous season that Indiana had when they were actually good, we haven't really heard anything about him until he went up there with Kalen DeBoer in Washington and started going crazy. So Bo Nix and Michael Penix, can resurrect their careers. Imagine what Graham Mertz could do this season with Billy Napier. You know, the Paul Chris days at Wisconsin, he wasn't really known for developing fantastic quarterbacks. Okay, he was more known for smash mouth football and being hard-nosed on front. And I don't think he was the best fit for a guy like Graham Mertz. Billy Napier is a little bit more well-rounded than what Paul Chris was, at least when it comes to the offensive side of football. Billy Napier had Levi Lewis cooking at Louisiana. He also produced the same offense that had Elijah Moore cooking. So this dude knows offense. I think he's a better offensive mind than what people give him credit for. And Graham Mertz, he has more talent at the wide receiver position than probably what he ever had at Wisconsin. Their wide receiving core... It's not that they're lacking talent. You just have a lot of new faces that 
haven't really proven much. But I do like Marcus Burke. Part of the reason is because we're a little bit biased because he's from the 904, but we're always going to be a little bit biased from our 904 brethren because we produce dogs and we produce nothing but guys who go ahead and dominate. You have pretty Ricky, Ricky Pearsall coming back. I think he could be one of the best wide receivers in the SEC this year. I really like his game, really fast, really good in space, fantastic after the catch. He kind of gives me a little bit of, I'm not going to say Kadarius Tony. He may not have like the shiftiness that Kadarius Tony has, but I really like Kadarius. I really like his game. He has a little bit of some similarities to Kadarius Tony in a sense. May not be as agile, but I think he kind of has a little bit of the playmaking ability that KT had. And your offensive line, I don't think it's going to be as good as what it was last year, but I still think it should be pretty solid. I don't think it's going to be an issue. And this defense, you know, like, they got Austin Armstrong as their defensive coordinator. He's one of the youngest defensive coordinators in Power 5 for a reason. There were other schools that probably wanted him, and Florida was able to snag him. This defense has underperformed, not because they've been lacking talent, but really because they haven't had any really good defensive coordinators. Their previous D.C. wasn't good. You remember all those years that Todd Grantham was the defensive coordinator for the Florida Gators under Dan Mullen? Oh, my goodness. Let's not even talk about that. That, that kind of makes me want to throw up a little bit talking about Todd Grantham and how Swiss cheese his defense was. So this defense, I definitely expect them to make some gradual jumps and improvement. They got a lot of talent and depth on the defensive line. At cornerback, you got Jason Marshall, who I think should be a first-round pick in next year's draft. And I mean, the biggest strength of this Florida team is their running backs. You got one of the best running back duos in all of college football, and they don't get talked about enough. Everybody be talking about all these running back duos, but nobody talks about Trevor Etienne and Montreal Johnson. This is going to be a team that's not going to be dependent on having a super athletic freak at quarterback to bail you out in big moments. This is going to be a team that, you know, their offense may be pretty boring at times. They may not have a lot of big explosive plays downfield, but it's going to be way more efficient. And if Graham Mertz can be a good game manager, take care of the football, limit mistakes, you know, make, you know, a couple of big throws here and there in the third and fourth quarter, then he can have a pretty successful season for the Florida Gators. Like, I know their schedule is really tough, but I kind of have a hard time seeing this being a team that wins less than six games. Like, I just feel they're going to find a way to get the six wins. Graham Mertz, you guys got to remember that with the transfer portal era, there's been plenty of quarterbacks that have been crappy, and then they go to a different school and they rejuvenate their careers. Like, Hendon Hooker, we, I didn't know who the hell he was when he was playing for Virginia Tech. I ain't hear of Hendon Hooker until he was going crazy when he was starting for Tennessee. Like, Michigan fans never let you hear the end of it when it comes to Joe Milton. And look what he could possibly do this season. So, don't be quick to count out Graham Mertz. You know, the transfer portal, we've seen a lot of some of college football's best quarterbacks come from different schools. I mean, look at who's the quarterback that plays for Utah, Cam Rising. He started out at Texas. And look how good he is for the Utes. And you're facing them in a couple of days. So Graham Mertz, I think he could be a pleasant surprise. Like I said, I don't think he's going to be a Heisman contender or anything like that, but... 
I just think with him getting the fresh start, being in Billy Napier's offense, probably being a little bit of a better fit for Billy Napier's offense than what Anthony Richardson was, I think that maybe he could surprise this year. And Florida could surprise some people as well because there are people that think that Florida's just going to be a crappy team this year. Like, you telling me you think that Florida's going to have just as bad as a record as what Vanderbilt's going to have? You think they're going to be that low in the SEC East standings this year that they're going to be on the same tier as Vanderbilt? Man, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think that low of Billy Napier, but that, that would be a little crazy if that happens. Before we move on, if you haven't already, make sure that you go ahead, leave a like, subscribe to the channel, rate the JT Sports Podcast five stars if you're enjoying this episode. If you want to support the podcast, the best way to give us support is by giving us a five-star review, man. We're trying to get to 100 five-star reviews before the start of the NFL and college football season, so go ahead, rate us five stars, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, links down in the description down below. Or you can type in the JT Sports Podcast and it will pop up. Okay, so I got to move on to this rivalry that is really starting to pique my interest. Because, you know, these fan bases, they just be going absolutely crazy in the comment section and it just be world war three in the comment section every time i talk about one of these schools when it comes to me talking about kentucky football every time i make a video about the wildcats there are always tennessee fans in the comment section going at kentucky fans and i see why you kentucky fans don't like tennessee fans it's like we get it tennessee is the big name program you know, you've coming off a really successful season. We get it that Kentucky had a down year and you guys won the Orange Bowl. You guys nearly could have made it to the college football playoffs. Like, we get it. We get you're one of the biggest brands in the South. Like, Kentucky fans just want to hear some good things about their team every once in a while. But y'all like some dogs. Y'all don't want Kentucky to have no joy. Like, I see why Kentucky fans do not like Tennessee fans because Tennessee fans be on Kentucky fans throats and it's even worse that Tennessee even though they have all these down years they still were somehow able to beat Kentucky like even when Kentucky's at their best they still struggle with Tennessee so that leads me to this man the Wildcats or the Vols which team is going to be better this season now, when we start at the quarterback position for both of these two teams, Tennessee has Joe Milton. Now, I like Joe Milton, and Joe Milton had a really good performance and their victory over, the Cle over Clemson in the Orange Bowl. He also won MVP of that game. But the caveat with Joe Milton is that you don't know if he's going to be able to remain consistent. You don't know if the Orange Bowl game was just a one-off performance and if he's going to revert back to the same quarterback that has the world's strongest arm, but just throws the football 50 miles into the seats, or is he actually going to be able to finally put it all together now that he's had time to sit back, learn this system, and develop as a quarterback with Josh Hypewest, the head coach, we will see. Kentucky, they got Devin Leary at quarterback. And if you're not familiar with Devin Leary, he was probably the best quarterback in the ACC 
over the past two seasons. Now, last year, he had an injury that pretty much sidelined him for the majority of 2022. But when he was healthy and at his best, he had one of the best touchdown interception ratios in all of college football. And he was doing this at NC State, by the way. And he was one of the highest rated quarterbacks coming out of the transfer portal cycle. And he got picked up by Kentucky. And he has Leon Cohen as his offensive coordinator. Now, who the hell is Leon Cohen, JT? He's their offensive coordinator. Now, the reason why you really need to pay attention to Leon Cohen, if you're a Tennessee fan, because you Tennessee fans need to know who Leon Cohen is because you always got your nose in Kentucky's football business. You need to know about why Leon Cohen is going to be a big factor for why this offense can be really good this year. You remember that season when Will Levis was really good? This was the season that led him to having all of the preseason, the first-round draft hype. Leon Cohen was the offensive coordinator that season for Kentucky. And then they had their best season ever with Mark Stoops being their head coach on the offense. And then he departed one season with the LA Rams to be on their coaching staff. And then he comes back and he's going to be able to get this offense performing at a way higher level than it was last season behind Rich Gang Gorilla, which I don't know why they hired him because I knew that dude wasn't a good offensive coordinator from him with and when he was calling plays for the Broncos. But you got to upgrade that offensive coordinator. And now that you have a legitimate offensive coordinator that's running a pro-style NFL-based offense, that's going to elevate a guy like Devin Leary, who is upgrade at quarterback from Will Levis. Like, Will Levis, I don't know how he was ever regarded as a first-round pick, but every time the game was on the line, he always sold. I will never forget that game when he fumbled against Ole Miss. And I'm pretty sure a lot of you Kentucky fans won't forget that game neither. Devin Leary's way better with the football, and he's just a better more polished quarterback than what Will Levis ever was. So when it comes to the quarterback advantage between the Vols and the Wildcats, I think we got to give it to Devin Leary in Kentucky. And even you Tennessee fans, like if y'all can put your bias aside, which I know you won't, but I'm pretty sure y'all would take Devin Leary over Joe Milton in a heartbeat. Joe Milton has more upside. He's more talented, but he's just not a better, more proven quarterback than what Devin Leary is right now. And it doesn't matter if Devin Leary never played in the SEC. Neither did Hendon Hooker, neither did Joe Burrow. If you're a good quarterback, you're a good quarterback. The worst position is really interesting. Now, I think that Tennessee's wide receivers have more depth. I think that they're just a more talented group. I think Kentucky really just has three really good wide receivers that I think are just as good as Tennessee's three best wide receivers. But Outside of the three receivers that Kentucky has, Barry and Brown, Dane Key, Tavian Robinson, I don't think they have too much talent outside of those three guys. So I'll give the advantage from a depth perspective at wide receiver to Tennessee, Brim McCoy, you got the Dante Thornton, I think it's Dante or Deontay Thornton from Oregon, if I'm not mistaken, you got Squirrel. So Tennessee has a lot of depth at wide receiver. And you got to have a lot of depth at wide receiver because Tennessee runs a high, fast-paced offense. But I think Kentucky could have one of the best receiving cores in the SEC this year. You got Barry and Brown, Dane Key, who were four stars coming out of high school. And that's something that you really got to know. And you really have to note 
and your brain when it comes to the wide receiving core for Kentucky because they're not a school that always gets four-star and five-star guys, especially on offense when it comes to their skill position. So the fact that they got Barry and Brown and they got Dane Key, that was some really big pickups for them in recruiting. And they both got significant playing time last season as true freshmen, and they were really good. And with them going into their sophomore seasons, they should only get better having a better quarterback. You have the fact that Devin Leary is really accurate. He's a better decision maker. He's going to get these ball. He's going to get these boys the ball, and they're going to make a lot of plays. So I think with the talent that Kentucky has at wide receiver, I don't think they're better than Tennessee from a depth standpoint, but I think that their top three receivers are just as good as Tennessee's top three receivers. Running back, I don't know. I probably would say if we're going off proven production right now, I probably have to give it to Tennessee. They got two of their leading rushers from last season coming back. But Kentucky, though, they're a team that's really good at getting the most from the running back position. So even though they may not have a guy who may be as proven, I still think that they should be given the benefit of a doubt. So I'm going to call it running back a draw. Now, the offensive lines, Kentucky's offensive line was terrible last year, which is uncharacteristic for this program because they normally do a really good job with their offensive line. Tennessee has a lot of experience on their offensive line. So you probably could go Tennessee. I probably will go Tennessee. You just don't know how improved Kentucky's offensive line is going to be. Even though I don't think it's going to be bad. I just don't know if it'll be as good as what it used to be. Now, defensively, I mean, come on, bro. If you think that Tennessee has a better defense than Kentucky, you know you tripping. You know you wildin'. Even you being a Vols fan, you can admit that Kentucky's going to have a better defense than you. Like, if you think that Tennessee is going to have a better defense than Kentucky, we just know that you're incapable of being able to be unbiased when it comes to giving a fair analysis of your team because Tennessee's defense is never going to be better than Kentucky's. You want to know why? Because Tennessee runs too many plays on offense. So with their defense being on the field for a million plays every single game, they're going to get more fatigue quicker. And unless you got a lot of depth at every single position on your defense, you're not going to be able to keep those guys fresh. Those guys are going to get tired way faster playing for a school like Tennessee that runs this high-paced offense that produces a lot of plays versus playing for a school like Kentucky that plays complementary football. Running a style of offense that is even kill, pretty slow-paced, and it also allows their defense to sit on the sidelines and get longer breaks. And they got a lot of talent on their defensive line. Like Kentucky is going to have one of the best defensive lines in college football this season. Like the way that they keep talking about this defensive line, they are so excited to unleash this defensive line on the world. This is the most talented defensive line that the Wildcats have ever had in program history. Like they got some dudes on this D-line, and they're not three two-star guys that you think Kentucky just brings in and develop. Like, they got some five four-star monsters on that defensive line. Like, all Kentucky fans talk about is how good this defensive line is going to be. So Tennessee's defensive line, they got some pretty good athletes there. I do think that their pass rush will be a little bit more improved this year. But overall, I just think with the style of offense that Kentucky runs, it's just more beneficial to their defense versus Tennessee. Like Chip Kelly, that's the reason why his 
defenses were never good when he was coaching at Oregon because their offense was just too damn fast. So if you have an offense that runs a lot of plays, your defense is going to be on the field for hell of long. So, of course, you're never going to have a good defense. Now, Tennessee's defense isn't as bad as what people make it out to be because let's not act like they didn't just go on the road and just shut out LSU. I like how people just throw that game underneath the rug like, like Tennessee didn't just do those, those boys dirty in their own home. Like nobody ever talks about that game. Like Tennessee's defense... When they're, when they're playing their best and, you know, like, they can force turnovers, they're a really good defense. But if they can't get turnovers and they got to be on the field for long, substantial drives, they're going to get tired out really fast and they're going to give up a lot of points. They're a turnover-dependent defense. Kentucky, I think their secondary should be really good, although they may be lacking in experience there. But their front seven is really good, and this defensive line is downright scary. So a couple of days ago, I made a segment or did a segment saying that I believe Kentucky is going to be the second best team in the SEC East this year. And I still stand on that. And with me making that statement, I'm telling you that Kentucky is going to be better this season than Tennessee. I think that Kentucky is going to be a 10 win team and they're going to make it to a New Year's Six Bowl game. I know they got some really tough games. You got to play Georgia. But I mean, one thing about Kentucky is that they played Georgia pretty close, even on some of their down years. Now, last year, they weren't good. But before that, they normally gave Georgia some challenges. Now, it wasn't, you know, one of those games where it came down to last possession. They didn't challenge them that way. But every time Kentucky normally plays Georgia, or at least the Kentucky-Georgia matchups that I remember over the last couple of years, like, it wasn't Georgia just dragging them up and down the field like how they did Tennessee last year. Like, it's kind of one of those games where Kentucky is able to stay with Georgia, at least until halftime, and then Georgia just gradually pulls away. Because Kentucky is a more physical team than what Tennessee is. And when you're able to be physical, it doesn't matter how good your passing attack is. Like, you still got to be able to win up front. And with Kentucky being able to win front, they're always going to be able to somewhat give themselves a shot anytime they play Georgia. And if Devin Leary is as good as what I believe he is, and he can be the same quarterback that he was pre-injury at NC State. He probably could arguably be the best quarterback in the SEC this year. This is probably the best quarterback that they've ever had since the dude that they had in like the late 2000s. So I'm looking at Kentucky. I think they're going to be a 10-win team this year. Tennessee very well could be a 10-win team, but I don't think they're going to take a major step back. I just think that, you know, with how tough their schedule is, and I think that Kentucky just overall is just a more well-rounded team, I think Kentucky is just going to be better. They're going to have the better defense. Their quarterback play is more proven. Joe Millen could be better than Devin Leary, but you're just banking on potential. You feel me? Like, that right now, Devin Leary is the better quarterback than Joe Milton. I don't really think that should be a debate. We got a larger sample size to judge them off. Devin Leary has started way more games. He's been way better at more games than what Joe Milton has. His best performance was that game against Clemson. He wasn't good when he came in against South Carolina. And I mean, yeah, the dude had like 10 touchdowns, like no interceptions. But I mean, like his accuracy still was hit and miss. So Devin Leary right now, like if you're a level-headed Vols fan, we got to agree that they got the edge in the quarterback battle. Like 
this Kentucky program, y'all need to start paying attention. Like Tennessee fans, y'all always be coming for these Kentucky fans. And I get why, because I mean, you're dominating the rivalry. So of course you're going to continue to talk shit. But you know, this season, the tables may turn. Not, not making any crazy predictions, but those tables may turn. Like Kentucky may finally give you what you've been asking for. And you better be careful what you wish for because, you know, what you wish for may not be what you had in mind. The most underrated team in the Big 12 this year, people, are the Kansas Jayhawks. And no, we're not talking college basketball, folks. We're talking college football. Do y'all remember when Kansas was 5-0 and and they were ranked inside the top 25 for the first time in years? And Jalen Daniels was a legitimate Heisman contender. And then he got injured and then their season kind of went left. Well, this season, they returned 91% of their offensive production last season. And they returned 80% on defense. Now, defensively, they probably aren't going to be good. I mean, they were terrible and pretty much everything statistically in defense last year. Like, this is basically a basketball team playing football. They're all offense, probably minimum defense. Even though I am a big fan of Kenny Logan at safety, he's a dude. But this offense is going to be one of the best in college football. First of all, they got Jalen Daniels, who may be the most underrated quarterback going into the upcoming college football season we keep talking about dark horse Heisman contenders he should be on your list he was a front runner to win it at one point last season anytime you're going crazy at Kansas fam you're special this program has been bad for what like decades like Kansas before Jalen Daniels started going off last season their fans didn't even talk about football season. They just skipped automatically the basketball season. And you look at Jalen Daniels. I mean, this dude can do it all. He's really good at throwing the football. He's really dynamic running the football with his legs. And you return a lot of experience on the offensive line and that receiver. This is one of the most explosive offenses heading into this upcoming college football season. This defense probably isn't going to be good. It may be slightly improved, but this offense is going to be special. Lawrence Arnold, Quentin Skinner, both of those dudes were averaging 16 yards per reception. They got a really good group of tight ends. This is a really good offensive line. If you're wondering who could be this year's TCU, look at Kansas. You can laugh all you want to because it sounds strange, but I think they're getting heavily disrespected they weren't even ranked in the ap top 25 that recently came out you know they don't really have high odds to win the big 12 i saw some big 12 preseason rankings that had them like not even in the top five really kind of surprising to me when you look at what this team returns and how good their starting quarterback is anytime you have a quarterback this good there's not a single game that you shouldn't be able to win and the Big 12 outside of Texas, like, it's up to anybody who could, you know, be in the Big 12 championship game. Like, Texas has the talent, but are they actually going to be able to live up to their expectations this year? Oklahoma, don't really know about them. Many people don't really believe in Brent Venables. I do like what Joey McGuire and Texas Tech got going on. But it's like, if you feel like Texas Tech can win the Big 12, then why can't you have that same attitude towards Kansas? 
They got way more dynamic players on the offensive side of the football than what Texas Tech does, and they got a better quarterback. Tyler Shuck got a lot of potential, and when he's healthy, he does win games, but I'll take Jalen Daniels over Tyler Shuck in a heartbeat. And I don't think that Texas Tech has the kind of explosive players on offense that Kansas has. Kansas has way more speed and way more one-play touchdown potential than what the Red Raiders have. And I like Baylor, but I think Baylor is one of those middle-of-the-road programs that every once in a while they'll have a big season. I think Kansas, with everything that they have coming back, I don't see how you can view this team as having a legitimate shot to win the Big 12. Like, I got these boys winning 10 games and making it to a New Year's Six Bowl game. And if you're not careful, you might end up losing some money when you bet against Tech, when you bet against Kansas. Like, I think one of the biggest games in the Big 12 this year is going to be Texas versus Kansas because that could be a potential Big 12 championship game. Honestly, Kansas, with what they have on offense, with their explosiveness, at receiver, the fact that you got Jalen Daniels at quarterback, you got Devin Neal, like Lance Leopold, Leopold, I don't know how you pronounce it, Leopold, 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 but however you pronounce it, this Kansas program, like they got a lot of buzz when it comes to their football program. I think they put down a lot of money on some new facilities. Like you need to keep your eyes on Kansas football. Like this just isn't one of those programs that you just going to view them as a basketball school. Like, these basketball schools, they starting to make a name for themselves. Like, Duke won nine games last season, people. Imagine if Kansas wins 10 games, and it wouldn't be the first time Kansas won 10 games. Now, it's been a while since Kansas has won 10 games, a very long time. I was in second grade the last time Kansas won 10 games in football. But this is, in my opinion, the most underrated team in the Big 12. This is a basketball team on turf. This offense is high-powered, explosive. They can beat you throwing the football. They can beat you running the football with Devin Neal. He was averaging six yards per carry, nine touchdowns, over 1,000 yards on the ground. You got a great offensive line. I mean, we know they don't have a defense, but there's not a lot of great high-powered offenses in the Pac-12. And look in the Big 12, excuse me, and look at their schedule. Like, they play Missouri State. You should beat them easily. You got Illinois at home. That's going to be a challenging game. Illinois is a really tough team. They're really physical. I wonder how Kansas is going to be able to handle the physicality of Illinois. That game could go either way, but you're on the road against Nevada, and then you play BYU. So going into your big road matchup against Texas, you should at least be 3-1, and one. maybe 4-0 potentially, depending on how that Illinois game goes. But... You play against Texas on the road. You're probably going to drop that game. Now, it should be entertaining, but Texas should be a really good team this year. It should be a close game, but it's hard to win up in Texas. And if Texas is as good as what many people believe they will be, then, you know, it's going to be tough winning in that stadium with that kind of atmosphere. Now, you got UCF, Oklahoma State. Like, I think those are middle of the pack, big 12 teams. I honestly feel like you're better than those two teams, especially Oklahoma State. Like, I think Oklahoma State, they're in a little bit of a small rebuild. I think it's going to take them a couple of years to get back to what they used to be. They don't took some hits to the transfer portal. They don't lost some really good coaches on their staff. Now, you got Oklahoma. I mean, 
I don't really know how this Oklahoma game could go because y'all was getting right with Oklahoma last year. Like they was beating y'all, they was beating y'all. You know what's really bad. And then y'all came back with Jason Bean, y'all backup quarterback. And we don't know how improved Oklahoma's defense is going to be, but with how good your offense is, I don't think it matters. I don't think nobody's going to be able to slow down this offense. This offense is at least going to put up at least 28 points on you. Now, if you can score at least 30 points a game on Kansas defense, then you're probably going to be able to hang with them. But I don't think there's too many teams that are going to be able to hang with this offense. But Oklahoma is a team that, you don't really know what to expect from them. So we're just going to say that's a draw. Iowa State, they don't got a quarterback. He was gambling on games. Like, I think they're in for another tough year. Texas Tech is going to be a really big game if you're a big, big 12 diehard. You got two programs that are looking to have breakthrough seasons. Texas Tech is a team that a lot of people are picking to be a dark horse team to win this conference. I won't even say dark horse. Like, I think R3 had them in the New Year's Six Bowl game. So I think they got them making it to the Big 12 championship game. And Jordan McGuire does have this program trending upwards. The recruiting is upwards. But Kansas State, though, they've been, you know, putting in some work and improving their football program. They've been investing heavily into their facilities. So this is going to be one of the biggest games in the Big 12 if you're a diehard Big 12 fan. And then you got Kansas State, which, you know, that's your rival. That's going to be a big game because Kansas State won the Big 12 last year. And many Kansas State fans think this is the best Kansas State team they've had since 2012. And then you got Cincinnati. It'll just... Nah, I'm just good on Cincinnati. You should take care of them, boys. So I got Kansas winning at least 10 games. So they probably will have two losses. I'll say they'll take a loss to Texas, and then they'll probably lose to either Oklahoma or Texas Tech, one of those two games, or maybe Kansas State. But overall, with everything that they return offensively, how good their quarterback is, we keep talking about Dark Horse Heisman contenders, and I very rarely hear Jalen Daniels' name brought up. This dude is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. He's a dog, but... I think the Big 12's most underrated team is going to be the Kansas Jayhawks. We're not talking basketball. Once again, we're talking football. Kansas has a really good team going into this season. They return too much for them not to be able to have a team that can at least win bare minimum eight games. This should, at worst, be an eight-win team. At best, this should be a 10-win team. Medium, probably nine-win. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate all of the support that you guys have given me throughout the move to college, throughout the summer. But we're in midseason form right now. Preseason is about to be over. College football kicks off next week, man. Like, I'm so excited to get this thing rolling. If you guys enjoyed today's episode of the podcast, leave a like, subscribe to the channel if you're new. Leave us a five-star review. You can listen to the audio version of this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon. If you want to support the channel, rate us five stars. It's easy to do. All you got to do is type in the JT Sports Podcast on any podcasting platform and it will pop up. Or you can go down to the description down below, scroll down a little bit, and there will be the links to the Apple and Spotify versions of the podcast. Follow me on all of my social media platforms. Like I said, I post like bonus content there. Not nothing really like 
analytical. If you're looking for analysis, that's what the podcast is for. But if you're just looking for some quick shits and giggles, you want a quick laugh, the social media platforms are a good follow. Instagram, Twitter, make sure to give me a follow on there. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. And I will see you guys tomorrow with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.